Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, a goodly morning to you. And doesn't it feel nice to say that? A goodly morning to you too. It seems like it's been a while since we've been able to wish each other and everybody else a goodly morning. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm much happier than the alternative. So am I. I mean, the figurative sun is shining down on us. Obviously, looking out the window, the real sun isn't, but figuratively, it's glorious today. Yeah, I mean, it's there. I mean, I assume it's there because it's quite bright out. There's just a smattering of clouds. I suppose the sun is always shining, right, by its nature. It's not like it burns any less, that big ball of gas. It's just visibility that's the issue. Yeah, it's what's in the way. It's what's between us and the sun that's the problem. And, uh, you know, in this part of the world... Troy Deeney, maybe. (laughs) Troy Deeney and his massive arse. Like, we should rework that episode of The Simpsons where Mr. Burns, you know, he he, uh, hatches this nefarious plan to plunge Springfield into darkness. He has a big thing that blocks out the sun. Mm. What What he could use is just Troy Deeney. That, en- that enormous belly, those, you know, that big arse, all of it would block out the sun forever. And not only that, the citizens of Springfield would have to look at a gigantic, well, not a gigantic, a life-sized, which is gigantic, obviously, uh, Troy Deeney hanging over the sky, hanging over the town at all times. That's, uh, that would be harsh. It sounds like, I don't know, one of Elon Musk's plans for the future to reduce global warming. He's going to use Troy Deeney to block out the sun. Yeah, an army of robotic artificial intelligence Troy Deenies <laughs> to do his to do his work. I'd say he's evil that guy, but uh, you know that's a, that's a story for another day. Sure, sure. Yeah, he's like complete supervillain territory. Oh. Elon Musk, isn't he? I mean, you have to think, you have to think. I mean, he, he seems to be doing everything for the right reasons, but that's what supervillains look like. And then the grand reveal comes, you know, Scooby and Shaggy pull off their mask and we find out the truth. Yeah, exactly. Hank Scorpio seemed like a good guy at first, didn't he? With his hacky sack and his hammocks. Come on. Yeah. You know where that led. <laughs> it can turn so quickly. <laughs> uh, but look, it is a good morning. It is a happy morning. Uh, I think we're all energised. We're all feeling pretty good uh, about beating Watford yesterday. And, uh, you know, as always, we have to, you know, throw in the caveat that, of course, not everything is, you know, hunky-dory and we don't, you know, we haven't fixed everything. But I think we have to, given the way things are going, we have to, to take our pleasure where we can get it. We can't be too introspective the whole time, can we? There's There's been so much analysis and so much uh, looking at where we are and where things are going wrong that when something comes along that you can actually enjoy, I think we've got to get on board. Yeah, and this week, I don't know how you felt, but when we were kind of on that terrible run, 
I spoke about the sort of morbid curiosity of seeing how bad it might get. And when we beat Milan, I was kind of surprised by how good it felt. I'd kind of forgotten that feeling slightly. Mm. And two wins in a week and two clean sheets in a week, five goals to the good. Uh, suddenly I'm sort of remembering what supporting a football team you like feels like. It's really nice. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, we've got to take the good from it. And yesterday, I think there was a, a lot of good to be taken. Not least, of course, we can talk about Petr Cech and we can talk about the penalty save, uh, which, you know, was great for him. Personally, at last, it happened for Petr Cech. You thought it was never going to happen. Uh, you know, we've we given him plenty of chances, in fairness. This Arsenal defence have, have given Petr Cech every opportunity to make a penalty save by giving away loads of them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and he hasn't been able to, to make the most of it, but yesterday, the cheer that went up for the penalty save was not simply because it was a penalty save and everybody loves a penalty save, not simply because Czech had saved one at last, not simply because in the context of that game, keeping Watford at bay was really important because had they got it back to 2-1, you know what our nerves are like. We suffer from our nerves a little bit, uh, Arsenal, and it could have changed the trajectory, the momentum of the game, but because it was Troy Deeney, and I don't understand any anyone who doesn't take some measure of pleasure, some measure of pleasure, how rhyming, um, mm. from Troy Deeney missing the penalty or from Troy Deeney having his penalty saved by Petr Cech. There is something just glorious about taking pleasure and enjoyment from the failure of other people, especially in a football context. Of course, schadenfreude is what so much of the, the football fan experience is about. And it's a perfect little morality tale as well. You know, Troy Deeney came out after the reverse fixture. He said what he said. I think we all know what he said. And, uh, the, you know, the way it's come back to bite him on his massive ass oh, is massive perfect. as well. It is very massive. It is like a huge, massive, gigantic. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's gargantuan. This arse, you know, it is, it is absolutely enormous. Yeah, and what a but, bite! Uh, what a bite! The world bite. has shown us its incisors, its tyrannosaurus jaws, with tremendous torque. They have plunged their teeth into this um, massive, corpulent backside and reminded Troy that you know sometimes it's best to be a little bit gracious when you win. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, I think that was maybe the biggest cheer of the day. I mean, obviously, you know, the goals were great moments, but mm. the fans had been, had it in for Dini all day, completely understandably. I suspect the players did too. They must have been pretty psyched up to uh, to, to, to beat him. And yeah, Czech finally produces the penalty save. Mm. It was straight down the middle pretty much, but look... That's fine, but by me, I'm no complaints at all. And what a way to get the 200 clean sheets. To be honest, I was sort of wondering if it would ever happen. Yeah, we were looking at a, a situation where Petr Cech comes out of retirement to do a Jens Lehmann at some point in the future, and he finally gets his 200th clean sheet. There was actually great pictures of Jens Lehmann, wasn't there? Uh, mm. Laughing his hole off, I think they say. That's the technical term of it when, when Cech <laughs> saved the penalty. And I think we should just at this moment in time uh, thank Germany for inventing the concept of schadenfreude and the word to go with it. So well done to Jens and, and all his uh, his compatriots. Um, yeah, no, really, really uh, just fun, isn't it? To see somebody, karmic retribution in action. I think that might be a way of putting it. Absolutely. That's a great way of putting it. And what was fun as well is the degree to which everyone at the club, from the players 
uh, to the manager, somewhat surprisingly, who often is sort of prepared to remain above these things, were prepared to, to talk about the Deeney thing and the build-up to the game and after the game. You know, it did get to the players. And of course it would. When a fellow professional is kind of questioning your integrity, that is going to affect you. And pride is, a, as Arsene pointed out after the game, pride is an integral point for any sportsman. Mm. So... Yeah, I I thought, and I thought some of the stuff on social media, and you know, Hector Bellerin bit back <laughs> at Deeney as well, <laughs> which I, you know I've got a lot of time for that. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. I don't understand why anybody would would feel it's beneath them in some way not to take enjoyment from this because it is it's just enjoyable. It's just part of being a football fan is to is to take the pleasure, is to take these moments when somebody else who's been shooting their mouth off. Uh, absolutely fails to live up to the standards that they've been um, bleeding on about. You know, that's what it is. If you talk about a team lacking character, lacking cojones, uh, lacking the ability to to deal with pressure, isn't that manifestly what uh, Dini failed to do yesterday? Mm. Penalty well, spot. It's is it not the the ultimate test of a striker's uh, ability, yeah. his nerve, and how how he can cope with the moments? So absolutely uh, hilarious. Yeah, completely agree. And uh, yeah, I mean, look, that aside, it was also a, a pretty good result, really, given that we, you know, the league is not our focus anymore. And I think the lineup kind of, you know, suggests this thinking in terms of leaving out Koscielny and Ramsey from the matchday squad mm. to come away with a 3 0 win. I mean, I don't think it was quite as convincing as the scoreline suggested, but it's a, a very good result. Absolutely. And I think it was very important that we continued. What we did against Milan, uh, I can understand the the team selection, the focus on the game on Thursday, but it was important, I think, for the team's confidence in general, you know, for, for them to go and get another win rather than be sitting here this morning dismantling another defeat, wondering how do we raise ourselves, how do we continue for, for the game on Thursday or for the rest of the season, etc., etc. So, you know, we've been on a terrible run. There's no question we've been on one of the worst runs uh, in Arsene Wenger's uh, time at the club, but maybe I think we have to acknowledge that it is, because it's been so bad, it is something of, a, of an outlier generally. You know, I'm not saying there aren't reasons for it, but... Mm. We need to get back to winning ways. We've done that now with two wins, and I, I do think it's uh, it's vital to keep things going ahead of uh, what's going to be a difficult game on Thursday, and we'll, t- we'll talk about that in, in a little while. But he did make changes, six changes from the team that played against uh, Milan. Ainsley Maitland-Niles at right back. Mm-hmm. Uh, he brought in uh, Rob Holding into the centre of defence. Uh, Mohamed Elneny, Aubameyang up front. Um and he needed to get a response from the players, both in terms of performance and in terms of result. And I think he did that for the most part. Watford had a good spell, didn't they? Either side of half time, where they they put some pressure on us, and you could feel perhaps the lack of confidence uh, in the team. It was there in the way that we were playing, but uh, ultimately we we scored a good goal uh, to make it two nil. Penalty save then has a big uh, a big impact, and after that, I think it was comfortable. Yeah, I think that, you know, in the first half, we actually started initially pretty well. And then the the balance of the game shifted a little bit as that half wore on. I think Watford improved. I also felt that maybe there was a little bit of, uh, what's the word? Um, ah, complacency. That's what I was, I, right. I was trying to think. Uh, I was complacent in my thoughts about it. But yeah, I thought there was a little bit of complacency from Arsenal in that second half of the first half mm. uh, and that allowed Watford into the game Petrček made a I mean he made a very decent save actually from Decore who had a shot from the edge of the box mm. it was sort of straight at him but he got down to it okay um, 
and yeah, but you know, the, Watford, I think, will come away from the game. I know their manager afterwards was like, how did we not score in this game? And I think that is a, a fairly reasonable point of view. The answer, of course, is that Troy Deeney missed a penalty. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, it, was a, it was a decent performance. What I thought was interesting was, you know, Arsene Wenger rotated, as you say, six changes. And so often this season, when he has brought in the squad players, when he's brought in some of those players who are more on the fringes of the team, they haven't really stepped up. They haven't really delivered. But I thought for the most part, they did uh, against Watford. And mm. obviously, I think I think El Nenny was probably the standout of those. Yeah, I thought he had a very good game, actually. Very good. He was uh, he was lively, he was energetic, and there was a bit of drive to the way that he plays. He's accused very often of being a safety first player, and I think that's true to an extent, that he is reliable on the ball. He won't always go for the, the difficult option, and in some ways it's a positive. In other ways, it, it can be a bit hindering to the way that you play, but it's also a positive to have a guy who very rarely gives the ball away, and that's, uh, that's apparent in, in the way that he plays. But there was a bit more incision from him, a bit more ambition in his passing, uh, I, I thought he had a. I thought he had an excellent game. And something else that st- uh, stood out to me um, between this game and, and the last game, and whether it continues, we'll we'll have to wait and see. But Granit Xhaka is somebody who has. Uh, been accused, and I think rightly so, of not doing his defensive duty enough. Uh, mm. He's been a bit. Um, what's the word? I don't know what the word is, but he's often found wanting or just found ball-watching, perhaps, when he should be reacting to situations. And I've noticed uh, yesterday, and I noticed in the Milan game, that there's uh, there's a, a greater willingness on his part to do the running, to do the hard yards, to get back into the box, to get back into defensive situations. You talk about the, the chance that Decoure had yesterday, but there was a ball over the top, and it was Xhaka who, who tracked the runner. Uh, he didn't manage to make the tackle in the box, but he was there. Uh, and he was making the effort, and I think that was that's a, a positive thing from his point of view as well. But certainly, uh, El Nani was was the standout guy in midfield for me. Yeah, Shaka's passing's been pretty exemplary over those two games as well, which ha- it had been a little more wayward than usual in recent months. I, I like the balance of Shaka and El Nani because with Shaka there, El Nani doesn't play quite so conservatively. He he kind of emulates the the Ramsey role, the box to box role, and. He was in the final third yesterday far more frequently than we've seen him before. I thought it was a, a very good game from from both players. And actually, Alneni's uh, performance, I think, throws him into contention. I know it's tempting when a, a squad player does well in a game to think, well, should they start? But I do think that Alneni could have a, quite a big role to play in the Europa League. If we're going to progress in that competition, you know, have away legs, which might be tricky and where we're looking to keep it tight, mm. I think his energy and efficiency could be quite a, a useful component for us in, in that competition. Yeah, I agree. I think he's a very useful squad player and he is uh, based on the performance yesterday. As you said, if we're going to be if it's going to be in any way a meritocracy, when he comes in and plays that well, he's got to be in the manager's thoughts when he's picking his team for the next game. Mm. Um, you know, especially a game where you perhaps need a bit more control. We don't have to go out and win uh, against Milan on Thursday. We just have to make sure you know we don't let goals in. So if you're looking to control the game and control possession, then he's a he's a good candidate in that regard. Ainsley Maitland Niles came in at right back. How did you think he did? What did you make of the uh, the penalty award? I thought that it showed Ainsley's inexperience, to be honest. I haven't seen too many replays of it, but the way he kind of hung his leg out, I thought was uh, uh, an indicator that he's learning the role, really. I mean, did you have any complaints about it? I thought it was a little bit soft, but also he made it easy for the guy just to clatter into him That's and the referee. It, yeah. You know, it is an experience. 
you know, you don't put yourself in a position in the box where a guy can just run into you and make it look like a penalty. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I just think in terms of his positioning, but I thought he was pretty good overall. Uh, you know, I did as well. I think it, At last I mean, at right back. At last at right back. I've been waiting to see it, to be honest. And I know that he's talked about as a central midfielder because I think Arsene Wenger's indicated that that's what he sees as his long-term position. I would point out, he said that about plenty of other players and it yeah. hasn't really proved to be the case. I mean, you think of Callum Chambers, Chambers. At Arsenal, Callum Chambers would be another. Uh, in fact, there are many players who he said, oh, they'll end up in the middle, but it, it didn't really go that way. And when I look at Maitland-Niles, I have to say, and I look at him as a, a fullback, I think he really does fit the role. He's got the athleticism, he's got the technical ability. I think intriguingly, a bit like Hector Bellerin, He's the kind of fullback who is comfortable playing those quick combinations. You know, he can play those quick one-twos. He's a good enough passer yeah. to play those quick passes and get in behind. He's not purely relying on his pace. But when he needs it, he has got that recovery sprint. We saw actually yesterday, it wasn't pure recovery. He tracked a runner right into the box, didn't he, for quite a good Watford move. And then mm. just at the, at, the, at the crucial time, sped in there and nicked the ball away. I thought it was a really interesting performance from Maitland-Niles. And look, he might well be a central midfielder one day. He might develop into the midfielder we need. But I think for the time being, he's a very, very interesting option as a, an alternative right back. Yeah, absolutely. Or a right wing back. If mm. he's, As we've been saying for weeks, if he's going to play him as a left wing back or a left full back, there's absolutely no reason why he can't do the same job on the other side or even do it better because that's his that's his natural side. And I do think you're right. The, he's got the physical capabilities. The, he's got the engine. He's got the, the pace. Uh, and he seems to have, um, as Arsene Wenger pointed out, uh, he's good in the tackle. So that's an important quality for a defender to have as well. So it's there for him, I think, to certainly be reliable backup to Hector Bellerin and, and maybe put some pressure on Bellerin as well. Uh, you could argue that maybe Hector has needed somebody behind him uh, to provide some real competition. Um so, I, you know, it's a, it's a positive thing. The other thing that struck me from yesterday, uh, leaving aside Mustafi's first goal, which was almost a carbon copy of the goal that he scored against uh, Tottenham. Um, mm. Very, very, very I love similar. That, by the way. Yeah. I love it when a set piece happens more than once. That shows you there's more to it than fluke. And we, mm. I, we know with Meza Ozil, his technique's so brilliant that he has that capacity to repeat. We get excited about one-off moments of skill that you're never going to see again, and, and I do understand that, but you've got to appreciate when a guy is capable of swinging in a ball like that more than once. I think that shows mm. real class and uh, a good header as well from Stefan. Yeah, really good, really good. And he had a good game. He had one of those games, you know, he's been criticised in recent weeks for some of his failings, but, uh, you know, this is why I think when it comes to rebuilding our, the centre of our defence, he's not somebody we should let go straight away because he is capable of these good performances. It's the ones where uh, he drops a ricket every you know uh, two or three games that mm. uh, that really colour opinion of him. But you know the potential is there, and you know who knows he's still young enough perhaps to to mature into a defender who can be a bit more reliable for us. But what I was going to talk about was uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan and uh, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang because. Because yeah. they ended up with a goal and an assist each. A goal, uh, they assisted each other. Uh, and I think that's really, really promising because 
What we did in January was, uh, by getting rid of Sanchez, Walcott and Giroud, was get rid of three players who scored 60% of our goals the previous season. Regardless of what their uh, contribution had been this season, they were reliable goal scorers for us. And we needed, if we were going to replace them or going to move those uh, players on, we needed these guys to start clicking straight away. And perhaps the relationship they have from Borussia Dortmund has allowed them to do that. I think Mkhitaryan has two goals and five assists now. Obama Yang, three goals. Uh, you know, not absolutely stellar numbers, but it shows that they're making a contribution. And they, they've uh, they've uh, found their wavelength again pretty quickly. Yeah, and I think we need them to share that contribution as well. It's easy to look at Obama Yang's Dortmund record and think, well... We need him to score 40 goals a year. <laughs> but I don't think that's particularly realistic. And we have plenty of players who play in those kind of inside forward or just off the front man roles who aren't actually regular goal scorers. Meza Ozil, I suppose, is an obvious one. But you'd also have to say Alex Awobi, Danny Welbeck, Jack Wilshere. None of these guys are prolific. So if Mkhitaryan's going to play every week, I think we kind of need him to be contributing 10 to 15 goals a season. Mm. Uh, and I think, on the early evidence, he does have the potential to do that. I mean, two goals and two games for him, both well taken. He's not quite the player that I thought he was going to be. And I think, you know, I thought he was going to be this super smooth guy who just kept ticking over. I guess kind of this Rosicki player, just, you know, pass, pass, pass. He's a little bit more erratic than that. And he's attempting more difficult things than that. But it is unquestionably working out with end products. You talk about the goals and assists. He's ambitious in the way he plays. And uh, we need a bit of that. We need a bit of incision in the final third. So I'm really encouraged by it. Unfortunately, it's sort of too late for it this season because they can play together in the Premier League, but our campaign's pretty much dead. They can't play together in Europe. But if we can use this period of time to bed them into the team and get them sharp for next season and ready for next season and working with Ozil, then that is encouraging. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's promising. Uh, early days, of course, and like you say, it's not going to make a huge amount of difference, their combination, certainly because they can't uh, play together in the Europa League. But uh, if Mkhitaryan has got some uh, shooting boots on, we're going to need him for Europe as well because mm. uh, obviously uh, Lacazette will be back soon enough. Danny Welbeck not scoring goals. And uh, behind him, I think Aaron Ramsey maybe is the only midfielder you'd feel confident about contributing in the final third or in, in the box. Mesodoso mm. maybe as well, but uh, yeah, we don't have a huge amount of goals throughout the team. So for him to come in and, and start scoring is uh, is a good thing. So um, what else should we take from this game? What does it, I mean, does it mean anything? It doesn't really mean anything in Premier League terms because we remain 13 points behind fourth. And uh, I think we all know what, what the situation is there. But uh, just in terms of getting us ready for Milan, you know, just keeping the momentum, getting another win on, under our belts, rebuilding some of the confidence that's been lost. Yeah, all of that, I think, is a positive thing for Thursday. Yeah, I do think you're seeing quite how big a factor confidence can be. I think the players, I mean, they look a foot, foot taller, some of them, than they did at Brighton. And I think the Milan result has helped tremendously in that regard. Uh, and I thought the mood at the stadium yesterday, I know, look, I mean, it wasn't full. Let's be absolutely clear mm. about that. This was, I don't know how, they sold 59,000 tickets, but I, there can't have been more than 40,000 there, I would say. Mm. Um, but the mood was pretty decent, as you would expect off the back of that Milan result. And I just think momentum is so important. Arsene Wenger can be a bit of a streaky manager. You know, he can put together these winning runs of 
10 or 11 games sometimes and we all think, oh, we've turned a corner, it's all going to be great and it falls down again. But at this stage of the season, if you put together a run like that, it could be absolutely invaluable. And, and crucially, I don't think we can afford to just throw the Premier League away. I do think that that will impinge upon the, the atmosphere at the club and will affect our, our fortunes in Europe. So I think we've got to keep picking up results domestically. Uh, it means we have to manage the squad a little bit, but I think you've got to take your hat off to the manager. He did that well yesterday. He took out Koscielny, he took out Ramsey. I suppose the one concern will be uh, that he seemed to lose Skodra Mustafi to a groin problem. Mm. Hopefully that's nothing too serious. Yeah, obviously with, with Milan on Thursday, that would be that would be a bit of a blow. But I think Rob Holding came in and played pretty well, to be honest. Um, he did. I really liked his pass, actually, and the build-up to the third goal. He kind of made an interception that was also a pass to release Ozil. And I think when I look at Holding and Chambers, I, I do prefer Holding of the two. And one of the reasons is I just think on the ball, his choice of pass... You know, for a big guy, he's, he's super confident technically, and I, and I think that that was a an example of what he can bring. You know, when he brings the ball out from the back. Yeah, yeah. There was some a couple didn't go the way they should, but I like the fact that he tries. He does. He wants to play. Yeah, doesn't he? yeah. He really does. It's a good sign. So yeah, he could come in. And um, one of the things that people were talking about afterwards was the decision to bring on Jack Wilshire in the final few minutes rather than Reese Nelson. And Reese Nelson, I think, was warming up and uh, apparently threw down his bib. Um, I did I saw it myself? Yeah. Actually, it was. It wasn't the most petulant thing, but you know, it it didn't look great. Right. So, I mean, what did you make of that decision? Because we're three nil up. Uh, Will should just played ninety minutes on Thursday. He doesn't really need the minutes at this point, does he? And Reese Nelson a lot more minutes than I yeah anticipated, and that I think than than I think is necessary. I mean, I do think there's a bit of a thing with Wilshire where. Arsene worries about him occurring rust pretty quickly. I think, you know, you saw that when he played against Ostersunds for as long as he did. And then in the cup final at the weekend, I think Arsene doesn't like him to uh, sit out too long. I think he needs to regular competition to be sharp. Um, I don't know. Maybe he's just trying to show him that if he signs this pay-as-you-play deal, he'll make plenty of money. (laughs) It it is an odd one. I I looked at that bench yesterday. There were a few kids on it. Nelson was there. Was Willock there as well? Willock was there and Kedia was there. I thought this looked like a a good game to give some of those guys some Premier League minutes and you don't get too many opportunities like that. Mm. So... And Nelson was out warming up for a really long time. Um, I know the Mustafi injury might have influenced plans a little bit. Maybe he'd had a tip he was going to get some involvement and then he was just very disappointed to not. I can't see how it would have hurt us to put Nelson on in Wilshire's stead. Yeah. Uh, And we've spoken about it before, the contract situation with Nelson. I do think it's a, a little bit of a worry, isn't it, when you see a reaction like that? Yeah. I mean, look, you can understand the need to keep a clean sheet. I think that was an important part of yesterday was was making sure we kept the clean sheet. But Nelson for Mkhitaryan was more or less like for like. It would have given a, a kid a few minutes and some involvement and, and the feeling that he is involved. And he is a very talented young player who at the moment we're in danger of losing. And what we've done is bring on a guy who also could well be leaving the club this summer because if you read between the lines with the Jack Wilshire situation, it doesn't sound very promising at all because he came out after the Milan game and said, um, you know, things have changed a bit, but I'm no closer to signing a new contract. Now, quite what he means by things have changed, I don't know whether he means 
the wages. What do you think he means? I, we had a, we, I was maybe, going to do this in the questions, right. but seeing as we're here, let's do it. Maybe the fact that Ozil has signed a new deal, Aubameyang's come in, Mkhitaryan has come in, and they've got big wages. And there is perhaps now a little bit of an imbalance between some of the top earners and some of the players who've been at the club for a long time. And that's a reality that football clubs have to address. Mm. Uh, that when you give one guy a, a big new deal, it, it just uh, has a trickle-down effect where people go, well, okay, I'm not Mesut Ozil. I don't deserve to be paid 350 grand a week, but I also don't deserve to be paid that much less than Mesut Ozil. You know, p- players are aware of who, who are the stars and everything else. So maybe that's a, a thing that they're, they're dealing with. Um, with Wilshire, when he says he's no closer to signing a new deal, and Arsene Wenger says... Basically, he said last week, well, it's up to him now. We've made, made the made offer. Our offer. Yeah. yeah. He said it's there. There's clarity. It's it's written. It's numbered. It, it sounds like take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, Wilshire does not seem inclined to take it. Right? And and the, the offer, I think, from the club is based perhaps on the, the, the injury record that he's had. It's an incentivized deal, isn't it? Where if he if he plays more and stays fit, then he'll earn more, but he's going to have to take a cut in basic, which I think when you're a 26-year-old player is a hard thing to take, right? When everyone else is getting increased wages and getting wage uh, um, bumps and you're being asked to take less, I think it's it's hard to take. And it's yeah. hard to, you know, for, for pride and just for pure financial reasons, it's hard to take. Then you have to consider why is it that Arsenal are making that offer to Jack Wilshire? You know, is it just to annoy Jack Wilshire or is it perhaps based on the knowledge and very uh, in-depth knowledge of Jack Wilshire's injuries and what the future might hold for him in terms of injury and availability? So it's a it's a very difficult situation. You can, you can see it from both sides. From Wilshire's point of view, he probably feels he's surely proved himself in terms of fitness, at least. Yeah, this season. Uh, yeah, he's been fit season. most of the season. Yeah, um, which I did not expect. He's played a lot more football than I anticipated he would, and he stayed fit for longer. I, I wonder if that could be a factor. You know, he's he's kind of feels he's proven something. I mean, it's a tricky one for Wilshire because on the, on the one hand, he might think if I wait this out. I don't know who's necessarily going to be in charge next season. Maybe that will be a manager yeah. who wants me here, you know, who wants to give me the deal that I want. On the other side, it could go the other way. You never know if the new man would, is going to actually take to him, if there is a new man. And also, what's not absolutely clear at this point is to what extent someone like uh, Raul Sanye, he is involved in the contract negotiations. Mm. Is his position part of the offer that is on the table for Jack. And if so, that's not going to change. He's not going to go anywhere this summer. So yeah. it's a really difficult one. I, I You know, Jack, Jack loves Arsenal, I think, and Arsenal profess to love Jack. But despite that, they can't seem to come to an agreement. Yeah, it seems like uh, there's going to be a part. To me, it seems there's going to be a parting of the ways unless Wilshire decides, okay, I'll take this offer, which he doesn't seem inclined to do right now, or Arsenal say, okay, you know, we'll change our offer, we'll give you a bit more. So, I mean, there's there's room for negotiation, but from what people are saying, from what Wenger is saying and what Wilshire is saying, it doesn't sound like that's uh, that's going to happen. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to wait and see, but um, maybe that is part of what, what Nelson, being aware of the, the situation, perhaps a little closer to it, because players talk, as we know, uh, maybe that was what made him a little bit uh, unhappy. So, uh, mm. yeah, the other side, I think it was... Um, 
God, I can't remember what I was going to say there now. <laughs> Completely gone out of my head. Oh, well. It happens. Not it to happens, worry. don't worry. It can't have been that important. No, it was probably a lie. <laughs> um, yeah, so there we are. Okay, well, there's Wilshire. And, um, well, look, we'll look very quickly ahead to AC Milan in, in this part before we go on to part two and all the questions. And uh, I do have a, there's a question here from uh, Lucifer's Dude. Lucifer's dude. Uh, I don't know if he is actually Lucifer's minion on earth, but he is at Chait86. He hasn't specified if he's a Satanist. No, he hasn't. He hasn't. He, right. you know, he's just, Let's just assume he is and, yeah, and crack on with things. We will. Uh, I don't think it's relevant, really, to this part of the uh, conversation. Uh, no. but, but, you know, to each their own. Anyway, he just wants to know, what are the keys for the Milan game on Thursday? Uh, you know, it strikes me that we're very positive about it, and that's good, and we should be positive after a 2-0 win away from home, two away goals. But uh, we were 3-0 up against Ostersunds yeah, and let them straight back into it. So, I mean, we, we, we can't go into this one thinking it's job done by any stretch. Well, I suppose the positive way of looking at it is we can't claim naivety. You know, we, we mm. had the perfect warning against Ostersons. We had ex- almost exactly this situation. And we it, 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 we were always professing on social media about learning lessons. If we are ever to learn a lesson, it surely must be the lesson of not taking the second leg too lightly. I think it is always tricky, isn't it, when you've got a 2-0 lead to know exactly how to proceed in the game. But I think... I think Arsenal just have to go out and try and to win that match, to be honest. I think we have to play to win that game because we've got that two-goal cushion, two-goal away goal cushion. I think we've got to go out and be positive. I'm not sure we're a strategically adept enough side to play it any other way. Mm. Yeah. What do you think? I, you know, we don't have to go for it. That's for certain. We don't have to go for it. And I think Milan obviously do have to show some attacking ambition if we can if we can be as efficient yesterday or as we were yesterday perhaps on the break um then another goal will probably seal the deal for us it's just making sure that we don't concede early because that then puts the shits up everyone uh the team and <laughs> not least I've got the some team. bad news about our efficiency on the break and, <laughs> and our ability to, Danny and our ability to concede early goals as well yeah very true um, i mean I think Milan, this might sound odd for a 3-0 win, but I think Milan watching Watford's yesterday would have been a little bit encouraged. I mean, ultimately, at full time, you know, we had 11 shots, they had 11 shots, they had nine corners to our four. And I think a better team than Watford, which surely Milan are, despite how poor they were at the San Siro, would still think this Arsenal team can be got at. You know, I I, I do think there are vulnerabilities uh, there, but if we score... You know, they need three. I mean, surely, surely, mm. surely we'll be OK. Yeah, well, look, we'll play it by ear. Hopefully we can uh, we can perform at home uh, in Europe, which is something that we haven't really been able to do in big knockout games in recent years. And I know the calibre of the opposition has played a big part in that, obviously, when you're playing... Uh, uh, Bayern Munich and Barcelona, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, look, we're in a very strong position and hopefully we can build on what we did in the in the first leg. And I, I just think the fact that the players are up for Europe because of what it means and what it might bring them this season and what it might do for, for what we've got next season as well, uh, I think they'll be very mm. focused for this one. So, um, yeah, we'll keep fingers crossed. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because we've spoken on this show about how Arsene Wenger's been struggling to motivate his players and then suddenly we've got two wins out of nowhere. But mm. when you look at it, 
the the motivation for the players could be almost nothing to do with the manager. In the first game, the Milan game, there's the carrot of silverware, the carrot of uh, Champions League qualification, which whatever happens to the manager is going to be you know a point of interest for most of these players next season. And then the Watford game comes around, and obviously you've got a bit of a confidence boost from the San Siro, but you've also got all this Dini thing. And if that can't generate something from the players, then what can, to be honest, than buying back at him? So... You know, without wanting to kind of absolve the manager of any credit in the situation, we've been a little bit fortunate maybe that we've run into a couple of games where there's such a clear incentive for this group of players. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, we're in a good position. Let's build on it. Let's win. And then we're into the quarterfinals. And, uh, you know, who know, who knows what will happen from there. But look, we'll leave part one here and we're going to come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at Gunnarblog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Just want to give a shout out to Dan Layden, who has uh, created very cool cartoon versions of us uh, for some podcast artwork. So uh, thank you to Dan. If you don't follow him on Twitter, you should. He's at Dan Layden, L-E-Y-D-O-N. And uh, he does really cool uh, illustrative stuff, uh, cartoons and illustrations, all based around football. So uh, do check him out. And uh, I hope you uh, enjoy our uh, mad cartoon heads. Yeah, I think he's been very generous with my hairline. So I'm really happy with that. He has been, hasn't he? I, that was not under instruction for me. I just, I didn't say. It was under instruction for me. I, I privately emailed <laughs> him, pleaded with him. Please uh, give yeah, me more air. Um, right, before we get on with the questions from listeners, I just want to ask you, we didn't have a question about this, but I think it's one of the big stories from the weekend was the interview that uh, Per Mertesacker did with uh, German publication Der Spiegel. I hope mm. I'm getting that pronunciation right. And he talked about his career and he talked about uh, how stress and pressure has affected him throughout his career. Uh, feeling sick before games. I don't think it's uh, an unusual thing for footballers to feel that kind of pressure. What is unusual is for a footballer to be so open and frank and brutally honest about how it has affected him and how it continues to affect him, particularly this season where he just feels like he can't, you know, countenance the idea of playing, which is 
which is a remarkable admission for, for a player and for a man of, of his experience. What did you make of it? I, 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 it was an extraordinary interview and not the sort of thing you read too often from a player who is still playing. And mm. uh, maybe this is an unfair thing to say, but not the thing you have read historically too often from players in the English game, I think. You know, I mean, maybe it's true in other countries, but there's a lot of stigma, isn't there, around mental health still, I think, despite some of the work that's being done. And I think it's just very difficult for people to talk with that degree of emotional honesty if they are athletes. I think it's very exposing. And I suppose if he'd been earlier in his career, you know, he's waited until the very twilight of his career to, to mm. talk in this manner. And I think there are probably very good reasons for that. I thought it was... Uh, really interesting. I mean, we did actually have a question. This is from Florian Wegscheider on Twitter, who's at Master Floda. And so mm. he said, uh, if the club captain says he would rather sit in the stands, does he not become unsustainable? I think he should, A, not have said this particular phrase and B, not have had this interview published until after the season. Do you think there's anything in that? Maybe. I can see can see that argument, certainly. Um, but... His influence doesn't necessarily have to be on the pitch. People talk all the time. All the players talk about what a good influence Mertesacker is in the squad. And uh, yeah, look, I think it feeds into the to the culture or the perception that we are supposed to have of footballers, right? They're, they're, they're men, manly men, mm. the manliest of manly men. And they don't feel pain and they shouldn't feel pain and they shouldn't suffer from mental health issues. And they're also very well paid. And being well paid means that you are immune somehow from all the the worries and anxieties that we have. So I, I can see why people would say it's a little bit self self defeating or a little bit perhaps damaging for the for the club captain to come out and, and say something like that. But at the same time, I think you have to then put put it in the context of the football culture. Does it not then make it more extraordinary for a man who's still ostensibly part of the playing squad to come out and be so open and honest about how he feels about that? And mm-hmm. if it helps create conversation and if it helps raise awareness of the the issues that he's gone through and many footballers have gone through, like I think it's very important to point out that he's not um, asking anyone to feel sorry for him in any way. And he says, like, despite all the vomiting and everything else, he'd do it again, you know, 10,000 times over because because of the memories he's had. Look at the look at the the performance he put in in the FA Cup final Mm. in May 2017, that if this is a, a, a an issue that's plagued him throughout his career when he's been fit and when he's been healthy and when he's been in, in in form and playing regularly, how must he have felt before going out against Chelsea when he hasn't played for months? It was his first start of the season because of injury, because probably there might have been some uh, something of some of this going on last season in terms of his own involvement or how, how he was feeling about playing. And then to put in that kind of a performance uh, is is astounding. So... Look, I think there's there's room for the conversation. I can understand why people maybe weren't happy about it, but I think it's important that we remember footballers are people too. First and foremost, they're people. Then they're sports people. And that's the way we should remember them or that's the way we should look at it. Uh, and, uh, you know, there is too much willingness to look beyond that. We see them as footballers, as uh, sporting robots who don't, or shouldn't have any emotions, who shouldn't show any weaknesses, who shouldn't display any 
anything that's contrary to the wider perception of of them as as sports people or athletes. So I think it's uh, I think it's an incredible uh, interview. And if you haven't read it, it's on Arsblog News. You can find it on there. It's it's well worth a read. And I think uh, I think it's something to be applauded, not to be criticised. Look, I, th- I certainly think Mertzaka is a terrific guy. I think we, you know, we can all see that, and I think he's exactly the sort of person you want heading up the academy. I mean, he talks in the interview about unemployment figures for academy footballers and how few of them actually manage to make it through and get a career, and so he wants to make sure that they are in a position to do that, that mm. they complete their education as he did. Um, I think that that's a really terrific set of values to be bringing into the club. I think I'm glad that he's sticking around. I suppose if if you wanted to kind of, you know, draw a kind of negative conclusion from what you're saying, not about Mertzaka, but about the club, given that this is going on and you can't imagine that it's news to Arsene Wenger that it's been going on, it makes our failure to improve our defence in January maybe a little bit more worrying. Mm. Uh, because, you know, you, having read that interview, if we did pick up a couple of injuries and you had to put Mertzaka in the team, you could understand why some fans might be might question that or yeah. have a bit of hesitance about that at this stage. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, I get that. I get that side of it. But, uh, you know, it's well worth a read. And if you haven't read it, check it out. It's uh, it's an eye-opener, certainly, uh, to hear a footballer talk in that way. Mm. But look, here's a question that comes from Richie King, who's at KingRichie82. And he said, what do you take from fan forum comments by Ivan Gazidis and Raul Sanlehi? Uh, they met with fans yesterday ahead of the, the Watford game. Uh, there was a report. We have the report on Arsblog News. Again, if you haven't read it, go check it out. But there were some very interesting snippets from that, James. Yeah, and, and Raul spoke. Yeah, mm. we, we finally heard something from our new not director of football. I thought it was uh, <laughs> fascinating reading, to be honest. As, as the quotes were sort of coming in and the story went up on Arsblog News, I, I really found it... Um, so it's like a political thriller, isn't it? It's like mm. House of Cards or something. All these machinations going on behind the scenes at Arsenal. And, you know, if you love or loathe Ivan Gazidis, I think you have to accept that he's a, a very smart political mover mm. and he doesn't say much by mistake. Well, sometimes he doesn't say much full stop. And when he does say something, it's very deliberate. Mm. And I suppose the main thing to come out of, uh, yes, say the, the headline really... I thought it was the way he talked about the manager. He spoke, he sort of said it's not the time to talk about Arsene's position, but I think in previous years you probably would have heard mm. some sort of statement of confidence in him, but there was that was conspicuous by its absence, I thought. Yes, certainly. Uh, he did say it wouldn't be respectful to talk about Arsene Wenger, and then he made the point that he, he uh, has, no, uh, has known Raul uh, Sanlehi from uh, back in the MLS days, and obviously at Barcelona he had overseen eight managerial changes. I think that was quite pointed. Mm-hmm. It is. Well, look, we said this a couple of weeks ago. He's the one guy on the board with experience of that. Uh, and I don't know if he's he's not specifically been brought in to be a kind of headhunter for new managers, I don't think. But just having someone there who can do that and Ivan mentioning that mm. does feel uh, significant. You know, you can say it's not respectful to talk about the manager's position. Well, it is if you're going to say we believe in Arsene Wenger and we want him to be here next year. That's perfectly respectful. Yeah. Uh, the fact is they didn't want to say that. Um, and yeah, I, I, I just, I found it... It's definitely worth a read. I thought, to be honest, actually, I came away from it feeling relatively encouraged because 
I do think that we are assembling a team of quality behind the scenes. I do think that Raul comes across as as quite impressive. He's got a historic knowledge of Arsenal going back to the the mid-90s and his work with Nike when he actually, I think, played a role in acquiring Arsenal for the Nike brand. I think he and, and started moving football into that to their sphere. I think he's done great work at mm. Barcelona. He's overseen a really, you know, successful period there. And I think Sven Mislintat is clearly incredibly highly regarded. So I, I do feel that we've been crying out for these appointments and that they the fact that these building blocks are being put in place, almost irrespective of who is actually coaching the team, is a really important and positive thing mm. for the club's future. That certainly gives me more encouragement than anything Ivan Gazidis would say because uh, what Ivan Gazidis says and what actually happens or comes to pass are often very different things. Mm. He talks a brilliant game, in fairness. He talks about you know wanting to be big and having ambition. Even yesterday, he says, I've no interest in fighting for fifth, sixth, or even fourth. We want to compete to win the league, etc. Of course, but you know you can say that. It's like being populist. You can just say the right thing all the time, but it's how you deliver. And maybe what we're seeing now is this team being put in place to help uh, Ivan take his foot out of his mouth or, or look like he's got his foot in his mouth. So I'm, I'm guarded in terms of what Gazeta says. Uh, but I am encouraged by what's going on in terms of the personnel that we're we're bringing in. Obviously, uh, there's Raoul and Sven Mislintat. I have a tweet here from, oh, I hope I can pronounce this guy's name correctly, Amjad Liquat, I think. And he says, I ran into Sven Mislintat yesterday at BVB versus uh, Frankfurt. Very friendly chap. And about Arsene Wenger, he said, a legend, learning so much from him, classy, loves working with uh, Arsene Wenger. And yes, Arsene Wenger is under pressure to deliver. So this idea perhaps that there is Team Ivan and Team Arson isn't quite there, that you know Sven and Raul are with Ivan and Wenger's not involved in any way. I think it's probably a little bit of a simplistic way to look at it, even if even if the relationship between Gazidis and Wenger is uh, difficult, would be a good Do you know, that's the third person I think who's been in touch who said that they bumped into Sven and had a nice chat with him. He's obviously a very friendly approachable guy. I mean, I, I worry that in saying that, he's now going to be <laughs> constantly having Arsenal fans coming up to him trying to buy him a drink and have a chat with him. But, do, you think, uh, it, do you think he's got like a t-shirt or, you know, a, wears a, a name badge all the time? I, am I think Sven. he always just looks the same. He's kind of, he's a bit like me, really. He always just looks a bit scruffy, doesn't he? Yeah. I think that's his, his thing. Someone told me they spotted him in an Urban Outfitters, actually, sort of adding to his... Uh, <laughs> His wardrobe of jeans and jumpers, <laughs> but um, I uh, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying about Ivan about saying the right thing, and he is very politic. But it does look, at least externally, like these guys are his appointments. The fact that Raoul is a, a friend of his or an acquaintance anyway, dating back twenty years, uh, suggests as much. And I think that I think that he is in this instance, he is doing something. Mm. He is actually making these appointments that seem to be improving the backroom team. And if anything, you know, I, I always remember Arsene Wenger um, sort of made a quite pointed comment about six months ago, really, about Ivan's nothing to do with transfers. Then we see him a couple of months later turning yeah. up in Dortmund. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it felt like quite the response from Ivan. But if anything, these should be kind of reducing his role on the football side. You know, if Raoul's there... Ivan should have to be a bit less involved with the playing side of things. So mm. I, I think that, and, that, and that's the way it should be. It should be a football man. And Rao's got that, that extensive experience in that mm. respect. So 
I feel good about it. I feel good about it. And I'll be honest, I feel like if you read this, the, the subtext to me seems to be like there's going to be another push for change this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so interesting, isn't it, this timing of Josh Kroenke being over here at the moment. And, you know, I, I know it's been planned for a long time, but is it coincidence that it's come at a time when the manager's position is set to become under review? Is he reporting back to Stan with his findings of on the ground. You have to wonder, it does feel like the pieces are all being moved in such a way, the chess mm. game's being played, maybe to to manoeuvre Arsene out this summer. Yeah, I think that was interesting what Gazeta said about Kroenke. Well, he wanted to be here today, but had a charity commitment. All right, whatever. But, uh, you know, getting involved uh, at the moment, it's causing a bit of controversy in the US that he's decided to put things on hold over there and has moved to London in order to concentrate on yeah. Arsenal. So... It does speak to something coming to a head this summer, and I think, you know, we can all figure out what that is. So, uh, yeah, interesting stuff. Very interesting stuff, yeah. Um, Should we have a question? Yeah. Uh, Oh, I better get one then. I hadn't really thought of that. Uh, It was about penalties. What was it going to be? Let me find it. Let me find it. Ah, Richard Pike, who's Spiffle Spaffle on Twitter. And Richard says, I think I cheered the Czech penalty save more than some of our goals recently. Mm. What's your favourite penalty save that you've cheered? And then he said Chesney versus Udinese. Surely a fave. I don't even remember Chesney versus Udinese. Was that not in a Champions League qualifier? Ah, yes. Yeah. That rings a bell. And he was, I can't remember who was uh, taking the penalty, but he always scored his penalties. Dinatale, maybe. Yes, I think that's who it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, That was a good one. I think the one that's, there's a couple that stand out for me. Um, David Seaman against Sampdoria. The hat-trick of penalties was that? I think he saved. Was that the semi-final? It was the shootout, wasn't it? It was the shootout in the semi-final. Yeah, um, I think he saved three penalties. He with, did, but there was one. And he had one. two ribs broken. He had, really? At the time, he right. was playing with two ribs, yeah. Two broken ribs. Right. Well, I mean, the one, I think, in the final one was from the baldy lad, Lombardo. Um, ah. And that was a great that was a great penalty save. Um, but also, Jens Lehmann against Villarreal is oh, one that really that. sticks in my mind because of... I don't know, there was this, this almost sort of high noon uh, element to it, wasn't there, where the, the camera is on Raquel May and Raquel May, he's got this, the whitest spit I've ever seen. His mouth is so dry uh, and he's, he has a little spit and Lehman is there doing his stuff on the line. And, you know, when you consider what was at stake uh, in that game, then uh, I think that's the one that really stands out for me. That was a great one. It was a great moment. And obviously what it meant in terms of going through to the to the final I uh, one that I remembered actually that was a particularly brilliant save was in 2012 we won 2-1 at Anfield Wojciech Szczesny was in goal he was 21 at the time Mm. and he saved a dirt count penalty but it wasn't just that he also saved the rebound he kind of sprung to his feet and dove to the other side Um, and I was looking back at that this morning it's a brilliant brilliant double save and I read that after the game Arsene Wenger was talking and he said I uh, yeah, I've been sort of uh, teasing Wojciech Szczesny and criticising him a bit in training because he's conceded his last three penalties. Last I three, thought, Christ! <laughs> <laughs> he must be given check a fucking. Check Imagine must- what it's like with check behind the scenes. Yeah. I mean, standards are slipping. All right, loser. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and David Seaman, yeah, that I mean that's Cup Winners Cup semi final. 
was the, I mean, the most memorable really. But I read that Seaman in the Premier League saved 31.8% of the penalties that he faced. Wow. That's pretty extraordinary, isn't it? That is. That's a huge percentage uh, for I any goalkeeper. I think only Jurelio Gomez, who was on the bench for Watford yesterday, uh, has a superior record to that. Or, or Man- Manuel Almunia, of course. Um, mm. He was a good what penalty. Fabianski st- in the uh, semi-final? That yeah. was a, a fun one. That was a decent one, all right. Um, but I, I think yesterday's w- will live long in the memory, you know, not just because of Czech, but because of the, the, the whole situation regarding Dini. Uh, yeah. it's always fun I mean it's only it's been about 10 minutes since we mentioned it so we we should go back to it and enjoy it again yeah we definitely should okay here is a question from um, Adam who is at 35who and he says uh, what is Alex Iwobi I don't mean to be harsh but even when the team plays well I'm not sure what type of player he's supposed to be Mm. Well, Iwobi took a lot of criticism yesterday, didn't he? And he didn't have a good game. Let's be clear about that. He he was actually really irritating Meza Ozil. I don't know if the cameras picked that up, but it was quite clear on the field a couple of times. Ozil looked for the pass for Iwobi. It didn't come off and his frustration was really apparent. Mm. Um, yeah, we saw that, that on TV a couple, uh, did you once see that? at least. Yeah. There was one overhit pass where Ozil was really not very happy. There was more than one, let me tell you, uh, in the first half particularly. And he looks like a player who's really short on confidence to me. Mm. Um, but I have to say, like he, he, he posted a tweet last night saying, good to get the win or something like that. And as is now customary online on social media, there were loads of people replying kind of get out of our club and you know you're not you're shit you're oh not really enough. Fucking nice. yeah and I, just... I, I just I have to say I don't see it like that myself I, I do think that there is a really talented player in Iwobi I think we've already seen that I think it's a bit revisionist to say it's never really been there I understand the question about what kind of player is he because he's quite a, an unusual player really he's, a, he's someone who's got an enormous technical ability and uh, power and ability to carry the ball. But what he doesn't have is end product at the moment. He doesn't really provide or, or score. So it can feel like, well, what's his role in the team? But I think the reason that Arsene Wenger continually picks him is that he's kind of a, a lubricant in the final third. You know, when he's playing well, he's someone who conjoins the parts, who, mm. you know, creates flow in the team, which is a quality that we've actually relatively lacking this season. So I, I do think he's got a role to play. I do wonder what next season might hold for him under a new manager. Would he benefit from even a loan spell somewhere? I don't know. But I do feel that he's a little bit harshly criticised when you consider how many young players have failed to kick on in recent years. I do wonder if the problem is just bigger than bigger than him, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. I think he's a player to me, I think Tim Stillman talks about him as a ball carrier, one of the only players who can Mm -hmm. carry the ball forward, which is something we lack in this team. So that's, he becomes like the default option if we need that kind of a player uh, to do, as you say, what what he needs to do in the final third and, and link everything up. He always strikes me as a guy who just doesn't quite seem confident, um, in himself, a bit like Oxlade Chamberlain in a way. Yeah. That there isn't quite the belief there to to compartmentalize 
mistakes or when things go wrong to be able to put them to one side and say, okay, that wasn't good, but look, just keep keep your head down. Uh, you know, it doesn't do anybody any good uh, when you're being roundly abused on social media by your own fans or if you can call them fans. You know, anybody uh, who, who does that to a player is a fucking idiot, really. Um, it doesn't help in any way. Uh, because, you know, these people aren't uh, blind to what's being said about them either. So there is that, that that expectation and that pressure then builds because you don't perform. And when you don't perform, it gets, you know, self-defeating and it's like a vicious circle. Uh, I, I think he is a player who has definitely hit a wall in terms of his development, because when he came into the team first, he did look really, really exciting and uh, and had qualities which you could see would fit Arsenal as as we knew it at that time or, or what we expected Arsenal. Arsenal to be. Um, but yeah, I think there is a wider issue in terms of, of young players uh, and, and how far they go and how far they can go uh, in this current setup. So, you know, one of the one of the things that has me excited about uh, ch- uh, change, not just in terms of the manager, is what we will see from these players under a different manager, with different coaching, perhaps with different ideas, a different system of play. You know, I think that's um, that's going to be one of the curious things as to what the future holds for this football club. But in the meantime, you know, we don't have anybody in the squad who's who's got the qualities that he has um, or what or, or can do the job perhaps that we're, uh, he's being asked to do, if that makes yeah, sense. I th- and that is a big problem. And the reason that he's playing and the reason that Osvang is picking him is because he's kind of the only player of his type, you know, we need a wide forward who can carry the ball. I mean, you need no further than the fact that who who played in that position in the Carabao Cup final, who played in that position in Milan. It was Jack Wilshire mm. playing in a kind of advanced role on the left-hand side. And I, I will point out that Iwobi has got more goals and assists than Wilshire has this season for all his failure to convert uh, things into the final third. And actually, neither of those players is quite good enough. Uh, currently in that role. Wilshire, I actually think, people have talked about, oh, he's he's not playing as well. He's, he's overcomplicating things. He's dribbling with the ball more. I think that's because he's being pushed into these advanced areas and he's trying to kind of play like an Alexis Sanchez, which he, he isn't. He looks much more comfortable knocking it around from deep. Iwobi, I don't think, has the confidence. As you say, he... How can I put it? He feels like he has a low-status role within the squad. Yeah. You, you know, even Ozil's reaction to him yesterday feels telling it will be he's 21 but he kind of feels 18 do you know what I mean Mm. yeah no I know what you mean I know what you mean that his stature hasn't quite increased as he's matured and and developed Um, Mm. so yeah look I think he's at a stage an interesting stage of his career and you know the club or the manager or whoever it might be is going to have to make a decision about that um in the not too distant future. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Hopefully he can refine some form because uh, like you, I don't think he deserves quite the level of criticism that he gets. I'm not saying he's been brilliant or anything like it, but you know, he is a young kid who's come through our academy, homegrown player. And I, I don't just don't get why he's the target for such abuse. So I mean, I get why people aren't convinced by him as a player, but I don't get the abuse at all. Yeah. And I also think as well, if you look at the, the atmosphere and the manner in which the team has been playing in the kind of two-year period in which he's broken into the senior squad, I think it's easy to understand why his development might be a little bit impaired. Um, mm. So I think he, I think he's someone worth keeping around and I'd be fascinated to see 
what another coach might do with him. But I do think that position, that kind of wide forward position, we talk about centre-back, we talk about central midfield, we talk about goalkeeper. I do think that wide forward position also probably needs to be on the agenda this summer. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, have you got a question? Uh, yeah, I do actually. Let's have this one. It's from Emmanuel Gardner on Twitter. Uh, and with reference to yesterday's game, I guess, uh, Emmanuel says, Hey, Blogs and James, I think Decore is the long-awaited replacement <laughs> for Patrick Vieira. What do you think? The new Patrick Vieira. The new, 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 new Patrick Vieira. The new and improved 2018 Patrick Vieira. Just what you've been looking for. Come down to our showroom and get your Patrick Vieira. He's black. He's French. What more do you need? <laughs> it is... Uh, it feels like anyone, any French black midfielder is going to be compared to Patrick Vieira, certainly if they're linked with us. He looks like a good player, in fairness. I think he is a good player. That's that's why I was interested by the question. And I thought he had a good game yesterday, actually. I think he's a really good player. Yeah, when you look at what we need to do this summer, uh, adding a player like him to the squad certainly seems to me like a good idea whether he's the best available on the market I don't quite know but I've you know I can't admit to have watching an off uh, watching having watched having watched an awful lot of Watford this season but when I have he's looked very decent he's got a good engine he's certainly uh Defensively minded, isn't he? He can he can box to boxy yeah. kind of. He's very athletic. He's decent on the ball. I think he's a top player. I mean, interesting again, isn't it? He's another one who was in France in Liga. He briefly went on loan to Spain. Arsenal probably were quite aware of him. A bit of a, a Kante figure in that respect. I'm not mm. sure he's had quite the impact at Watford uh, that Kante did at Leicester, but I do think he looks very tidy and he's got that physicality and that box to box drive. I, I think. I think he's an intriguing option because it's not easy with our midfield, isn't it? It's not It's not easy to pick out names and say, well, he's definitely the guy, but he feels like a type that we don't have. So yeah. intriguing. I, I, the Vieira comparison, probably a bit soon for that, I would say. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, at, at 25, you know, he's coming into the best year, years of his career. Um, but, you know, I think, it's, I think it's wrong to be looking for a new Patrick Vieira. You can't get another Patrick Vieira. It's just not possible. But what you can do is obviously address the issues that we have with our midfield. And he, he looks like a decent player, uh, probably quite gettable, if that mm. makes sense. He's somebody who, if we wanted to, we could probably bring in without too much fuss. And maybe, you know, we have to reassess where we are and what kind of football we're going to be playing next season, what sort of money we've got available to us. Are we going to be in the Champions League? Will that uh, hinder our attempts to bring in certain players? So, um, yeah, uh, he would be a name on the list, I guess. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right. Um Let's do one more before we go. This one comes from Chris Gilman, who's at Chris underscore Gilman. And he says, speaking of that, Dini, give us your all-time top five fat fuck footballers. <laughs> wow, fat fuck footballers. Are we excluding Arsenal players from this? I mean, immediately, Andre Santos. <laughs> to mind. He was, look, he was criticised. He was misleading, wasn't it? He was. He just kind of had that kind of round face. I saw him post a picture on Instagram and that guy was ripped. He had, yeah. he had a six-pack, he had an eight-pack, perhaps even a nine-pack. 
I know. It's odd how certain players can appear that way, isn't it? They, mm. they look chunkier than they are. Some of them, um, however, are just fat. That's, I mean, John know. Hartson was a big lad, wasn't he, in his Celtic days? Oof, he was he a big, big fella. Andre Arshavin, I remember there was a game not long after Arshavin arrived at the club and there was that sort of post-match thing, you know, where players are going around with their shirts off. And I was going, how is how? Yeah. How is he a fucking professional footballer? How is this possible? Don't they have like body fat rules and all that kind of stuff? You know, he had the he had the love handles going on in a big way. Yeah, he did. He did. I loved him for it though, to be honest. I mean, what about Broline? Thomas Broline? Yeah, he was a he was a big fella. He he certainly uh, expanded his waistline expanded as as his career went on. Uh, Jan Molby was another one. Uh, Mickey Quinn, who scored a hat trick against us, I think, on the opening day of a season uh, back in uh, back in the day. He was he was quite a tubby fellow. Um, I mean, even the original Ronaldo got quite chunky towards the end. Uh, he just used to hang around the penalty box, didn't he? And, yeah. Uh, bang it into the top corner. Uh, who was the other guy, uh, the other Brazilian guy? Adriano? Yes, yes, he he did full foul. But, you know, his, but his, I think the, the, the thing he's asking us here is fat fuck footballer. So is Ronaldo a fat fuck? No. No. He was just a big guy, you know, as his career went on. Whereas, for example, uh, Neil Ruddock, he was a fat fuck. Very good shout. Neil Ruddock's definitely got to be in there. Um, Ruddock, who else? I mean... There's, there's, there's been so many down the years. I mean, Neville Southall was... Yeah, but he's not enormous. a fat fuck, though. You Paddy know. Kenny? He's a goalkeeper? Yeah, I, I don't think... <gasps> the, the guy who played at um, Tottenham uh, and is now... He looks like... Um, I don't know what he looks like. I saw a picture of him recently and it was like, what the fuck? He looks like someone who, who just eats... Um, Cheese all day, like fondue. He was a forward. Um, Mido, Mido, Mido. That's the guy. Yeah, if you've not seen Mido recently, he's certainly enjoying his retirement. I assume he's retired. Maybe he's not. I'm going to see if I can find that. Oh my god, he's in. There's a picture of him. If you just Google him now, there's a picture. Oh my god, he's sitting there. He's got a mustache. He looks like a kind of country and western star of some description i don't quite know how to describe it but he is certainly a very very big man now yes yes i mean does that goalkeeper that we encountered in the cup count the pie man do you remember the pie man (laughs) i remember the pie man he seemed harmless though you know he seemed harmless what we're looking for his name was wayne something Uh, roly poly goalie wayne shaw he was Wayne Rooney, speaking of Wayne, see, you know, when he comes back from pre-season, he's a big lad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure there's loads who we're forgetting and everyone's uh, going to tell us now on Twitter who their favourite fat fo- footballer that we've uh, forgotten Neil Ruddock's a really good shout. Yeah. Because, you know, he was un- an unpleasant character as well. Yeah, he was t- he was terrible. I never liked uh, never, uh, never liked uh, Neil Ruddock. That's why someone like Matt Letizia, for example, who was probably not the fittest man that he could have been but again, just wasn't wasn't objectionable, really. Um, this is the distinction that we're looking for here. Yeah, he was sort of enjoyably chubby. I liked him. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, he was a great player as well. It, it, yeah, he was. I mean, you know, you can be a little bit big and likable and it's just cuddly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Brolin, he was... Um, didn't he just give it up? He just sort of stopped playing. Or maybe he just couldn't run anymore. I, I think it was enforced after yeah. a while. Yeah, so there we go. But uh, d- definitely uh, Troy Deeney is one to add to the pantheon of fat fuck footballers. Um, because, just because... We all know why. I think he's, uh, yeah, he's the captain of that particular team. Mm. Right. Well, look, uh, we're going to leave it there for this week. Thank you as ever for listening. Really appreciate it. We will be, uh, we'll have a podcast on Friday. Friday, I guess. It, what? Oh, we might have to do a, we might have to do an extra, extra kind of thing if you're around um, yeah, on Friday be. because of the Thursday night game and that plays havoc with the podcasting. So, yeah, OK, let's do that then. We'll do an extra Arsecast extra on Friday in the wake of the Milan game. Hopefully we've got uh, plenty of nice things to talk about then, too. Uh, another goodly morning in a week of goodly mornings would be very welcome. It would be indeed. Top and start and finish your week with a goodly morning. That'd be nice. Yeah, sure would. OK, well, look, thanks again for listening. Remember, give us a rating or a review on iTunes if you feel like it. If you don't, don't worry about it. Uh, you can also sign up to get extra stuff at patreon.com forward slash arseblog. Uh, we'll have another My Arse podcast going up there this week exclusively for uh, for Patreon members and thank you all for your support thus far. Uh, we'll catch you on Friday. Until then. Bye-bye. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.